A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 295, data shouldn't be a four-letter word, making data a forethought. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Wendy Turner-Williams, managing partner at both the Association.ai and Colstrata, as well as the former CDO of Tableau. So the Association.ai is, quote, a global nonprofit business organization focused on bridging the disciplines of AI, data, ethics, privacy, robotics, and security. Is focusing on things like networking and knowledge sharing to drive towards better outcomes, including ethical AI. It's a little bit like what data mesh learning is trying to do around data mesh. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Wendy's point of view specifically. Number one, right now we try to break up the aspects of data into discrete disciplines and then try to work on each of them completely separately. We try and do that far too often, you know, privacy, security, compliance, performance, etc. Instead, we need to focus on the holistic picture of what we're trying to do and why and stop breaking these things up as if they're completely separate instead of intertwined. Number two, communication is key to effective data work and driving value from data. Hire product managers and focus on the why. Break through the historical perceptions of data as a service organization. Drive to what matters, outcomes over outputs, and focus on delivering value. Number three, quote, What's the point of being focused on the data if you don't understand the business that the data is supposed to be used for? Number four, potentially controversial, quote, there is no transformation without automation. So if you want data to play a part in transforming the business, you need to focus on that automation. Data-related work can't be toil or most won't even do it, right? There might be a lot of value to it, but they just won't do it. Number five, quote, you will never be as successful 
as you can be as a data organization if you're not able to influence your IT partners, your product teams, your business teams. This ability to influence is so, so crucial. Number six, for far too many companies, data is just an afterthought. It's not the core around how they build out their initiatives. When you bolt on the data to any aspect of the business, instead of integrate the data and how you source the data and how you think about that data, unless you integrate it from the start and build with data in mind, it's going to be far less impactful. The data is just not going to have that big of an impact. You're always trying to play catch up. You know, make data a forethought. Number seven, in many respects, data has become a four-letter word to lots of people, meaning, you know, it has that bad connotation if people aren't familiar with the phrase four-letter word. Number eight, there are a lot of internal politics around data. Data can mean power, and it can also give people perspective on your team's performance or another team's performance. Try to work towards removing the politics if possible, but, you know, also good luck with that. (laughs) Number nine, there is so much data in many large organizations that execs can't make sense of it. They often don't understand what data they will need to support their their decisions or even how to get in place the data they actually do know that they need. Number 10, there's also often a disconnect between strategy and targets or feasibility when it comes to data. There may be a strategy of grow X product with a target of grow X product, you know, 15%. But there isn't a good reason why 15% is the target. It becomes kind of a dartboard and you just go, well, let's say 15% instead of, you know, data feeding into actually creating the goals. Number 11, execution and tactical decisions are powered by data far less often than they should be. There's far too little thought or process around strategy and tactics enabled by and about creating data. Number 12, many line of business or domain leaders are simply not great at data. They may be able to leverage insights, but they don't get the information cycle, especially sourcing necessary data, getting that that data in place for what they'll need it for later down the road. Data teams need to partner with them effectively. That is definitely a two-way street. It's not just like, you need to be better at data. We need to go in and, and enable them to be better at data. Number 13, potentially controversial. Relatedly, too many data people are focused on the, the work instead of the impact of the work, focusing on doing data work. There needs to be a better understanding of what teams are trying to accomplish with the data work. It's not about the pipeline. It's about the goal of the work and the impact. Number 14, you need internal processes and clear delineation of ownership where you will have multiple teams measuring the same things and getting different answers. This is kind of a little bit in that MDM space as well and, and how we think about that. But a lot of this, even if you have the idea of MDM, it's not executed well. And so you need to say, like, who actually owns this? Who owns this? Or who can say that this is how we should look at this one thing and this is our official metric in turn? Number 15, far too often people are myopic in focusing on their own job instead of how they fit into the bigger picture of the organization and how they fit into that delivering value to customers. That leads to teams not considering how they exchange information internally with the rest of the organization, only focusing on their own usage. Number 16, potentially controversial. 
data teams need to spend more time creating their own data around the impact of data work and impact of issues like data downtime. Move past the service-only cost center perspective. Really make people take you seriously. Number 17, lack of data fluency, especially among execs, causes so many issues. People don't understand data. They don't understand how much they can trust it, and thus they won't rely on it. So you have to learn into or lean into them increasing their data fluency. Number 18, relatedly, there is a significant lack of understanding of upstream and downstream data and business processes and needs that could be fixed by better communication. What do you need from your upstream and how are your downstream users leveraging your data? Just communicate, please communicate. Number 19, automating data works enables business partners to identify their business choke points and actually start to address them. So again, coming back to that automating of data work, it's so important because so many people think it's just the data work that are the choke points when it's very much not. And so once you automate that work, they can really identify where those actually are. Then finally, number 20, potentially controversial one, you can't have AI without really understanding your business processes and how data supports those, how people combine data and their degree of trust and understanding of the data. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Wendy Turner-Williams here, who's the managing partner of Colstrata, the association. We'll talk a little bit about what that is uh, later in this, but we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, Wendy's got a very, very um, strong background around, you know, being in the C-suite and and things like that in, in data. So we're going to talk about how do we stop thinking about being so myopic in data? How do we think about this bigger picture? How do we start to do much more around automation in in data. I know some things people are moving towards that, but a lot of uh, you know, if you look at software, we're just not doing the 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 automation to any uh, of the same degree. Why are we so lax in data with controls around security? Why is that just um, such an issue here? And then why is it so hard to bridge the disciplines for doing things like ethical AI and data? You know, ethics, security, privacy. It's like we treat everything as if it's this super, super separate thing instead of what are we trying to accomplish while still being, you know, ethical and having good security and good privacy and all of that stuff. But before we jump into that, Wendy, if you don't mind giving people a bit of a background on yourself and then we can get into the conversation at hand. Yeah. Um, thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. Um so a little bit about me. I'm uh, as as mentioned, Wendy Turner Williams. Um I've got well, let's see, 20 plus years now in cloud software, uh, big tech. 
uh, infrastructure, you name it. I, I, I tend to tell people I, I've been in cloud since before there was cloud um, because I spent my first 10 years at telecom and then I jumped right to, <laughs> to big tech. So, um, you know, I'm a kind of an end all be all data person, a business process automation person, RPA person um, who has really specialized in, in working for a lot of the services to not just grow those services, you know, control risk. Um, you know, drive them from a data culture perspective, but also to really uh, be a customer zero when it comes to data and help to guide the software and services to help us do our jobs more effectively. Um, you know, the reality in, in tech is often the people who develop the tools don't use them themselves for their day jobs. So they, they get blinders sometimes. And uh, I tend to have a very loud voice when it comes to those blinders and making sure they're well educated. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. We've had a couple of different people um, working in B2B startups that are even focused on sharing data with, uh, you know, their customers' data, sharing their data. And yet internally, they're just so immature from a data perspective. And it's just it's the same uh, kind of, of thing. So um, but yeah, let's let's start with this uh, this concept of how in data very few people are really focused on the big picture. We could talk about that from the data people perspective, and we could talk about that from the kind of exec perspective of, you know, hey, okay, I want you to achieve this one thing, or I want you to execute on this this very narrow use case instead of what are you trying to do and how do we get data to actually back that up? When do we start collecting the data instead of you asking me a question and hoping or being frustrated that I don't just have the data on hand. Like, how do you think that has evolved? But also, where do you think we can we can take that? Where do you think the biggest problems are around that kind of myopic view of data? Yeah, well, well, I'll start with uh, what I think maybe the biggest problems are. And I think that data has become almost like this four letter in a, in a negative perspective. It, it's something that everyone froze out. There's not a meeting at a company that you're, that you're in or a conference that you go to in a corporate world where there's not a discussion about being data driven. You know, we, we've got to be, you know, data focused. We, we've got to be. But the reality is, is that having a metric on a report doesn't mean that you're a data driven culture, right? Um, there's too much uh, data for data. And there's not enough critical thinking and alignment in most companies in regards to what is our actual business strategy and what is the questions that we need to be answering to actually ensure that that strategy is met from a data perspective and that data is actually kind of amplifying that strategy in regards to decision making. Um, so to me, there's really this, this disconnect into what what a data-driven culture actually means. And it almost starts, in, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's um, top down and bottoms up, right? Um, what tends to happen is that the people on the ground um, are a lot more aware in regards to the data gaps, whether it's infrastructure or actual data, or, uh, you know, it could be quality problems or, you know, uh, linkability problems, you name it. But a lot of times the executives aren't aware, right? So people aren't, they're not communicating up the stack. 
At the same time, I would say that, you know, back to, you know, it's also a, a, a top down problem. The executives doing something like uh, saying something like, I want to grow my, uh, you know, I want to grow this particular product in X location by 25%, or we want to improve our ARR by, you know, 15%. Those are really generic statements. And when you think about that across a company, right, a company as a whole, especially a lot of the big companies that I work in, we could have hundreds of products, right, that are available in X country. Which ones are we trying to focus on and why, right? Or with what segment or what market? And how does that lend into where we're moving as a company? Or back to ARR, sometimes you mean there's there's products that you are uh, in process of decommissioning or, or they're not really uh, turned to be viable or, or marketable sticky, right? And so there's shifts in regards to where are you truly focusing on your strategies and what's important to do that? Something like growing ARR could be in my world and software, it could be about actually software product releases. It could be about, you know, uh, new marketing campaigns and new segments. It could be about upping our sales, um, you know, our, our actual people on the ground in regards to sales and CSG. It could be about, uh, you know, cost savings and we're, we're upping ARR, and but we're also doing a bunch of cost savings. That play. There's a million different avenues that those statements actually apply to, and it could be uh, associated to every single department in a company. So again, if people don't get sticky enough and they don't look at the big picture in regards to how does that statement actually become tactical and how does that statement actually break across the business funnels and different organizations in a typical business funnel pipeline, how does it break across those funnels to actually um, tactically move? Right. Um, so to me, that's one of the, you know, the, the biggest problems that exist is people don't really understand how to how to break it down tactically and to measure it at each step tactically to actually hold accountability or to truly move the bar. Yeah, I think the we had even a panel on this of tying the data work to the business strategy and vice versa. And that you go like, hey, how are we actually implementing things to go back to that that business strategy. But I, I do like what you were saying there of like when you're talking to an exec, especially in a larger organization, the business strategy is often this very vague set of principles that are, you know, hey, six bullet points and and each of them have, you know, 10 words or, or fewer. And you're right. just like, okay, like what does this actually mean from a tactic standpoint? But I think, are you seeing then like how data people can best support a a business exec is to just go in and say, what specifically are you trying to accomplish? How can we work that, that data into that? It, it, how do we extract from them to get to work that's relevant? So we're not just like, we're doing data work to support our growth right. strategy. What does that mean? Uh. We're not being reactive. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. I mean, back to, you know, I think people need to ask the right questions. And what tends to happen, you know, at most companies is data is thought, data is an afterthought, right? They're, they're going to, like you said, they're going to throw some dart 
at a dartboard in regards to framing those six bullet points, like you mentioned. And then what tends to happen is that um, instead of going layer by layer by layer down those executives into how does each organization and team then fit into those six statements and then break out their six, that's a component and their six, that's a component and their six, that's a component. And then setting down with the data teams at each one of those levels, right, to, to understand what needs to be, um, what, what's the actual critical data that's needed to actually enable quality decision making at each one of those uh, of those points, right? It's like these concentric circles that that tie in. What tends to happen is that the data teams just get thrown, right? Here you go. I need X and I need these insights, but it's like, okay, again. Where are we targeting? Why are why are we targeting that so that I can understand the bigger picture? What data sources do we need to actually amplify, you know, th- those insights or, or 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 lead to new kind of, you know, insights associated to it? How often do we need it? What quality bar do we need it at? Who's going to consume it? You know, is it is it risky data? Is it not risky? There's just so many aspects. But more importantly, the data people, um, a- as you mentioned, they tend to get thrown requirements and they don't always have the ability to ask a lot of questions. So to me, you know, being really good from a data perspective is about asking those questions, right? Ask the hard questions. What is this for? What is it you need next? Like, what have you not said in this document? Like, what, if I give you this, what would be the next steps, right? Or where would we move next with this particular uh, release from this insight? Or what's the next target customer? Or what's that? Like asking questions just to try to understand where it's heading versus what they're said on a piece of paper is 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 key, right? Um, I, I found that often, you know, business people aren't necessarily good data people, right? That's why we have distinct disciplines, right? right? I mean, we have marketers who are really good at marketing and doing you know, content and branding and and using certain types of marketing um, data sets, but that doesn't mean that they're very good at at defining. Here's the sources that I need, or look, I need this to be in a hyperscaled, high trust, near real time, you know, as service that basically allows me to see this every you know five seconds. Or maybe they do say that, and then you're 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 like, all right, well, this is very expensive, but is that really what you need, and what are you driving out of that? So there's this gap sometimes between the, the 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 translation layer between business to data that people just have to dig in and ask the right types of questions, uh, and people shouldn't be afraid to do that. I'll give you an example, okay? Um, and, and this is an example from when I was at Microsoft years and years ago. It's my favorite example, by the way, because it shows you so many different dimensions of business impact and uh, different types of data disciplines as well. I was in the team that was responsible for all up Azure reporting. Okay, so all of our, you know, uh, 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 segmentations, our usage metrics, all of the OKRs across every single product within Azure, um, all of our models, all of our, all of our uh, machine learning, etc. And we would meet with the business teams, meaning the product teams, plus finance, marketing, sales, et cetera, at least once a week to check in on strategy, right? So this was operational meetings in regards to where are we at in regards to where we thought we would be using data to, to drive the strategy. And every week there were questions about usage and the quality of usage, okay? 
And that was because, again, back to people need to understand processes in order to actually understand data. Okay. And then that includes the business people. And what was happening is there was a lot of quality issues because different teams were rolling up usage in different ways. Okay. Um, A, you had examples where the product teams themselves would say, here's my usage. This is what my revenue should have been because I'm looking at my logs and I'm seeing the meter spending. And so this is what it is. Well, number one, Usage spending on a meter doesn't equate to revenue. There is a lot of usage that is for free, like trials. Um, there are campaigns where we give things. There are discounts where we give things. There are there's certain products that are add-on SKUs that you get for free on top of other SKUs. And so not all usage is the same. So that's one angle of a disconnect in regards to product. In addition to that, you had, again, finance or marketing who were spending in different ways as well. Marketing would say, no, 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 that's not usage because our campaign launched, we're watching these meters. Again, they wouldn't understand certain business um, you know, rules in regards to how do we actually log revenue. But the biggest problem on top of this was that um, there was a master data, okay? And what was happening is that um, no one was managing the process between how we market products, meaning here's a product brand that you could see on Azure.com, and how we actually then build products through the commerce platform, which is the meter setup. And what would happen is that the, the marketing teams and the product teams, say you're launching a new okay, or even rebranding a product. They're going back and forth for months before the product launches about basically the brand name, okay? And months before that product launched, they would manually send an email to this operational team that was behind the scenes to set up a meter for a specific SKU with a specific location with a specific, you know, et cetera. Well, often they were sending that team the, the internal code name for the project. Say it's Foo, okay? Here's the Foo project. We're going to launch the Foo project in three months, spin up this particular meter in this location with these SKUs, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they'd set it up. Well, marketing and product may change that name six times by the time they would actually launch, right? Um, no one would go back to operations to actually update to be, say, SQL Azure, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or Azure DB, right, SQL DB, et cetera. So you have this, uh, this whole uh, hundreds of products across the company where some products could have 10 different product names. And if you didn't know how to go into the instrumentation to actually say these 10 products are actually this particular product within itself and aggregate that data, you, you would never get the right number. Okay. This impacted customers. This was impacting, you know, incentive call. This was impacting um, taxes. This was impacting, there wasn't an organization in the company that this did not impact. So what we did to solve this is we used data governance to go in and basically align the business organization, including product to a new product a master data, you know, hierarchy. We basically established stewards. Uh, we defined that marketing always owns the actual brand name. 
we automated the process for operations to consume brand names from a source system, which means they never had to do things like code uh, change management options or anything like that. It would just consume down. If marketing changed it, it would always stay integrated and high quality. And we just started automating tons and tons of processes, including like a tax. There was a there was a currency team who would spend two weeks a month with five people on their team to manually input global currencies. Okay, which again we can automate off of a source tied directly to that product SKU based on the geography location. We gave them back, you know, what uh, how many weeks out of a, a year of five people times two times a week by simple master data connecting. So that to me is a really good example of. Business people don't understand all of the processes happening upstream and downstream from them, and often neither do the data people. Even the data people producing reports for these products or for these teams. And if you can't ask the right questions about how did something happen and do the right kind of debugging and data rationalization to look up and down those streams, you're not solving root cause problems and you're not having the impact that you potentially have right in the company. That was a very long answer, but I thought that was a good a good example for for the problem says. <laughs> no, I, I had something similar. I was the cost manager for AWS, and somehow I was the they made me the product manager for our first downtime because it was mostly cost related, but it was still very strange. But I, I had all of these things. And like, you know, we we had an email for the customer that we were supposed to alert. There was one email per customer. And even though some of these had hundreds or, or even a thousand users. And so we sent out an email to the customer saying, there's going to be a downtime in this. We're doing some maintenance, you know, whatever. And so we checkmark, we did what we were supposed to do. But I started to dig in and say, okay, what was the deliverability? Like, how many people actually responded? You know, I, I went and I talked to like three of the big uh, outside sales folks and said, hey, have you talked to all your customers about this impending downtime and, and what that's going to mean for them? You know, it's only three hours. It's not a big deal. But at the same right. point, if you have all this stuff that's automated to run and nobody received the email, none of our top 100 customers actually saw it. So it was delivered into a random email box or it got filtered into spam or it, like all of these things. And so, you know, all these people were like, why are you so obsessed with making sure that this, that, you know, we alert people correctly, that we do all this stuff. And some of the downtimes actually ended up being in that fun gap where um, the US and Europe split their uh, around daylight savings time. So then we had to do we were just like, we just moved to nothing but UTC, but, you know, but exactly what you're talking about of people are like, did we do what we need to do? Okay, check. It's like, no, did we achieve? What What are we trying to achieve? Why and why? And constantly circling back to that because, and, and it was kind of funny because we were talking about not getting myopic, but you were talking about, okay, use cases. And so those use cases are myopic. They are the specifics, but it's also the strategy, it's the tactics as to how you're supporting that bigger picture. So we're not just doing data work for the sake of data work. We're doing data work that fits into that that bigger strategy. 
it's like if you're going to be customer obsessed, I mean, first of all, if you're a service and you're having an outage, but your customers don't know you're having an outage, imagine the trust experience, right, from that customer perspective. And even if you're not responsible, maybe you're not the customer, the the voice of the customer group, or you're not CSG, or you're not, you know, whatever, there's still like a responsibility. And and that's where I think to me is the biggest thing when it comes to, you know, the challenges. And, and again, that data-driven culture is that too often people are myopic in their own job, and they don't understand how they fit into the bigger picture. And with that, that means that they're not working together as part of one ship. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if we understand how we touch and how we could touch and how we can improve this person's role by simply doing something as simple as validating, you know, the 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 full list of customers and and verifying opens or something like that. And if that reduces a hundred tickets that come into say a, a support team, that there was an outage. Imagine the operational cost savings, right? And the improved customer experience around that at all. Even if it's not your job. So to me, that's the biggest issue is that people, people, um, I, 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 you know, there's people who like to work to live and there's people who like to live to work. But regardless, there's not enough people who are actually like working together at a company, like holistically together to enable things at scale, right? I mean, data politics is a thing, right? I mean, I, I always, that's one of the biggest things I tend to talk about, especially with other C-suites, is the politics of data. And I'm just like, why is there data politics? We Are we not all part of the same company? Are we, frankly, not all part of the same team? Um, you know, why is there any type of politics related to how do we how we meet our strategies? Um, th- th- there shouldn't be, right? Um, because otherwise, why are we working at the same company, right? Like something's wrong with the culture. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so anyway, um, you know, it's it's just it's interesting. But people people tend to get too focused on here. You go. This said to do X on this particular paper, and I did X. Check done, move on to the next statement. We're just really looking at it. So (laughs) I I, uh, bring up, you see something, say something and lack of curiosity a lot. And that's it just kind of that and and that lack of having each other's back. But like, so I I think this uh, somewhat transitions into what we were planning on talking about with automation of uh, having people's back, you know, your exact example of so many of these things are just where is their toil work or where are potential issues that should not be issues? Exactly what you were saying of, hey, are, if, if a name change breaks our revenue recognition for a product, that's a massive, massive issue. Where, where are the likely places for things to break? And as soon as we identify something has broken it or whatever, you know, it's, it's that thing of, um, why was there an incident and you just kind of have a root cause analysis thing versus why was there an incident? What actually led to this? What can we do to be better next time? Like, how do you think about getting people to understand the need for automation and and to invest in this for, you know, your scalability and reliability? Yeah, no, I, I it's, it's a very good um, topic or question. I, you know, I think that 
it's hard to get people to recognize the value unless you take the time to quantify the impact of the cost. So, you know, I, I think here's one of the things that data people tend to struggle with the most. We are so used to operationally supporting so many other organizations and teams with their data. We don't spend enough time creating our own data for how we can be more effective or how, how much impact we have an organization. Or like you said, what are the themes of risk or root cause problems, right? To concentrate in regards to things like data literacy or even business fluency. Um, you know, I, when it, here's an example. Um, when I was at Salesforce, um, they had never even looked at data as a risk Okay. And it's like, how can you not have data on a risk index for the company? Um, especially when you're thinking about, you know, trust is the number one value. How can you have trust if you don't even understand it, it, the risk associated to your data, right? Whether it's M&A integration or things like quality or, link, uh, you know, linkability or, uh, you know, a data strategy as a whole for the company, right? You can't have trust without those things, to be honest. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, it, there's a lot of need for uh, data literacy, which to me, literacy is just how do we educate the business in regards to speaking and using data. But to me, the biggest problem is actually around data fluency, okay, and business fluency, and the ability to understand, again, what are the concentric circles in the business processes that are standardized pretty much at every single company? What are the tools and systems that are used within your particular company? And then how do you as a team, right, whether you're a data team or say you're a marketing team and you're the your PR in marketing, okay? Who are the teams who are two steps down and two steps up of you, right? Like if you just know that, okay, and you know how you, the the information that you produce and, and your decisions impact those two down and those two up, you can start to drive a lot of process improvement, okay? And that's ultimately where data tends to get a lot of hiccups. There's too many manual processes with too many siloed myopic mindsets that aren't understanding how that data is then consumed or that decision is then consumed downstream or upstream of them, right? And they're not working together to basically communicate I need X from you upstream. If you if you provide X and it was just one additional one second step, that could save me a whole team of people from connecting, say, my quotes to an actual deal, okay, or my this to that. If people would just talk and share their experiences, just a couple of hops up, right? So to me, it's like networking is a big uh, you know component in regards to understanding your landscape. Um, understanding those business ties, um, understanding those processes from a strategy. Again, we talked about that and how there's concentric circles there allows you to start to understand where there are process gaps or data gaps that need to be automated. And then you don't want to extra tax teams by doing more. You want these things, if there's processes and there's data that's flowing from team to team to team to team, you want automation and you want 
quality as a part of that automation within those business processes themselves, which means it's usually within the business apps, to be honest, where, where there needs to be certain types of corrections to actually guide the business process itself, right? The, the, the business tactical process. Um, and so to me, that that's where, you know, there, there tends to be a lot of gaps. I think really good data teams don't just produce data. They also spend a whole lot of time on RPA and business process automation um, because that's ultimately how you start to drive the right behaviors and the right automations to solve your quality problems, to get ahead of the business because you're you're building uh, deeper relationships, right? More trusted relationships because you're bringing them value by helping them to do something they haven't been able to do in the Okay. Um, and I think that's where, where data teams can can really, really drive massive impact in companies. Well, and I think one thing in there uh, or uh, that I've struggled with is when I talk to people about what am I trying to achieve and maybe here's a way that we might achieve it. And then people just take that as, oh, I was given the requirements versus no, how do we have this conversation as to what are we trying to achieve? Do you, do you have any advice out there for people that are are listening, you know, a lot of uh, leaders of of large organizations and uh, on the data side listen. And so having fruitful conversations is probably the biggest challenge, but nobody ever really talks about it. So how how would you recommend people extract that information as to what are you trying to achieve instead of, you know, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll go do it. Maybe how you've seen that work well, or how you've seen when you come up against the brick wall of, no, I want you to just do what I tell you to do. Like, how, how, how would you recommend people get to a better place with that? Yeah. So my recommendations are a couple of things. Um, one, I'm your product managers. Okay. Um, product managers are my go-to first hire. It's what I always hire first. Okay. For me personally. Um, and I tend to hire product managers who are not just a product manager, meaning I tend to hire people to that can build relationships, okay, um, whether technical or business, that can communicate very, very well, who um, are business savvy and technical savvy, who um, know how to build truly like a product that's scalable, that's quality, that's reusable, that's extensible, um, that are looking at those t- those components. And I start with that because I need someone to build a relationship with the business. It, start, it starts there. If you don't have a relationship where they're using you as a trusted advisor, and they're actually sharing with you basically the strategies, not just the strategies on paper, but they're taking the time to walk you through their day-to-day like life, how they're using the tools, what they're doing, how, what, how the next team's using it, et cetera. Then you're not getting the exposure that you need in order to ask the right questions. Okay? Um, I think that there are a lot of great uh, courses, even free online in regards to how do you get in and actually ask precision questions. This could be something that can help you in your career, not just from a requirements perspective or understanding business. It can help you manage teams. It can help you grow your career, but you know, really understanding how to do precision questions. And I think the, the third thing, especially for data folks, is 
there's too much concentration on just the pure data skill sets, meaning, okay, I can write Python or I can write SQL or look, I can build data platforms as a service and I can link this API to this API and it can process data. But if you don't understand how people are then using the data itself and how they're pulling it into whatever they're using to make decisions, whether it's a dashboard you created or a spreadsheet or whatever it is, if you don't understand that, you are not basically, in my opinion, fully doing your job, okay? Because all you're doing is taking orders like at a restaurant versus actually like being a chef and creating (laughs) something that's new and some type of, you know, really, really kind of, uh, you know, great experience. So, um, you know, stop being an order type. Instead, build relationships, ask questions, and influence the business, right? It, and your job is to enrich the business with information and knowledge. And if you don't have it yourself, you're not able to do that effectively. Yeah, I think this is where data as a product, as a concept, is much bigger than just creating data products. It's exactly what you're talking about of how do product managers actually work Think about that related to your entire data production and consumption kind of as as almost one giant organism. And you start to think of all the different component parts and like what needs to to do that. But you think of the organism as, you know, I mean, maybe it's, it's even like our, our way of treating people um, from the medical field. We focus so much on, oh, this is the liver or this is, you know... Um, somebody who focuses on bones or, you know, on joints and things like that, or this is, yep. you know, and, and we get so focused in such a way where we don't treat the whole, we treat the very specifics and it doesn't end up uh, with great patient outcomes. And so, yeah, I, I think, I hope that we can get to there, but a lot of times I'm seeing data leaders are in an organization that isn't receptive to them doing that that information and so um you know it's it's hard you know sometimes you just got to push through and sometimes you just got to say okay maybe i find a different organization if they're not going to value us actually doing the right work well and that goes back to there's a lot of uh, business uh, or data fluency problems right and business fluency problems um there's also back to like influence right Data teams have to influence. You will you will never be as successful as you can be as a data organization if you're not able to influence your IT partners, uh, your your product teams, your business teams. Again, back to we're part of one sh- all on one ship, right? We're part of one team. Our job is to provide knowledge. That's our job as as data as as data folks. And to provide knowledge, you have to have knowledge, okay? Find the people who get it, right? You have to network as a data folk. Even if you're someone that's back in writing ETL, okay? Don't write the ETL just as a, uh, you know, as a, as a uh, task, right? Ask questions yourself. Sit down with someone in the business and let them walk you through their process and how they want to use that output. Okay, they'll do it. In fact, you, you might have to find a, you know you might go to a couple of people until you find a person that's willing to do it. But they like talking about what they do, and you'll find someone that will make the time. 
And once you can add that one plus your one in regards to what you know about this downstream team or this data set that's over here that they haven't asked for yet, but now that you watch their process, you're like, oh, if you had blah, 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 you could get this now inside out and that will help you. That's how you actually bring knowledge and bring value and drive change. And I'm with you that a lot of business teams, um, you know, a, everyone's got priorities, right? People can be short staff. They may not understand the value. But once you find one or two ways to actually improve their value, okay? whether, again, they were able to grow some type of contract or drawing some customer was, a, you know, a, a very unhappy customer and now they've shifted them or they sold more because of blah, blah, blah. Once you can actually stick, you know, stickily say you helped them actually do X, they become a advocate. Okay. And they then start to be an advocate to those around them. Okay. And that's how you start to grow influence. And there's, there's, there's no knowledge without influence. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting perspective because We've been having a lot of people on that are talking about transformation and the the business transformation, at least from my perspective, the more that I listen on this, you can't lead the entire business transformation from the data organization because that's not the data team's remit. But right. if you can influence it, the more you can influence that transformation, the more that data starts to play a part and that the data drives the business strategy and like the number of people who talk about business strategies that were created without any data input at all into them. Right. Like they're just like, we want to grow 25%. Well, where did you pick 25% from? Well, that's how much we want to grow or that's how much our competitors are growing. So we should be able to do the same. And it's like, um, so like, yeah, I think that influence perspective is really important. And, and I think uh, it gets overlooked versus, again, doing the work or trying to transform the entire business to be entirely data driven. It's just it's not possible versus getting people interested in, in coming to meet you where somewhat where you are with around data. It's a bit in the middle, right? I mean, the business, the, the business teams have to step towards the data and the data teams have to step towards the business and, and they, they, and then they have to work together. There is no transformation without automation. And what ultimately is business automation is collection of data points. That's what it is. Okay. So again, they can transform all they want, but if you don't know how to use that data to then make more, you know, impactful, quality decision-making to do more with those transformations, then what was the point? You put in infrastructure to collect information that's not being used when the infrastructure should be there to actually collect the information that actually is being used for new purposes to either streamline, cut costs, improve sales, improve whatever it is. That's all data points. So again, like you can't, they're, they're not... They are, um, they're, they're cross-dependent. And if the business isn't doing enough to work with data, you're not going to get the right output. If data's not doing enough to go and learn the business, you're not going to get the right output. And this is why, back to why I try to hire product managers. Um, I, so I think of 
around. So when I talk about data products, to me, a, a data product could be a pipeline, it could be a metric, but I, I tend to focus on uh, data uh, infrastructure automation for me in particular. I, you know, again, I've been in software a long time. I like to build self-services that basically have complete automation so that any person can basically go and create some type of high value decision whether, you know, it, make it intuitive, make sure all everything's quality, all the access is automated, all the workflows and policy and, you know, <laughs> processes. And when you do that and you, and you start to think about how teams use different services within platforms, right, or and then use the data pumping through that and you're working those angles together to where you have the trust and, and the governance with the self-serviceable you know, solutions with the high quality, uh, extensible data sets that's, you know, perfectly kind of stewarded, et cetera, and discoverable all in one place, then you can start to kind of tease apart these business choke points in regards to people understanding how business processes are, are correlated and connected. And you can really start to focus on the influence needed to really upscale, right? Uh, upscale. To me, you know, AI, let's, let's shift it to AI a little bit, right? AI is, to me, just the next level of transformation when we talk about digital transformation. First, it was moving off of spreadsheets into applications, which then data points to drive your data. Now it's about how do I put AI on top of that data, okay, out of those processes, to automate a, a machine making a, some type of decision point or, or you know, a, a generation in regards to, you know, uh, uh, what the decision point was, et cetera, you can't have AI without actually understanding where your business processes are, where they are from a quality of data, leakability of data, trust of data perspective, and where those are high caliber enough to actually put AI in place in order to perform some type of task, right? AI is just a data maturity step it, from, from, from my perspective. Um, so again, all of that requires understanding flows, captures, business processes, where those opportunities exist. And, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, there's not an AI future without us asking the right questions and looking at the business processes and the right opportunity. Well, and I think that dovetails nicely into what we were planning on talking about kind of in, in, in wrapping up, which was like, why is it so hard to bridge all these different things? When you talk about an AI future, you can't have super separate ethics and security and privacy. You can't have all of these gates. We've got to be shifting everything left. We've got to be talking about um, shifting it left in the pri in the actual development process, so that you're thinking of ethics and security and privacy from the start. So, like, what have you seen that? Yeah, I mean, we could talk a little bit about the the horror stories, but I think everybody's got those. I think everybody kind of understands those. So, what have you seen that actually works well in getting people to understand that they've got to do this, or? What have you seen that's worked well in actually implementing it so that we aren't so bifurcated in all these different uh, specialties that make it so that we're, again, we're not treating the whole, we're treating very, very specific parts and it, and it 
detracts value instead of adds value. Yeah. So I, I think um, there's several things that could be useful to folks in regards to um, having that conversation or, or, or really kind of spotlighting those types of things. Um, a, you can use uh, a lot of industry kind of frameworks that exist in regards to um, data management, maturity, risk, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, NIST as well um, in regards to, you know, identifying where there are strategic gaps in regards to your 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 strategies on both those areas. I, I think that things that are happening around the globe around, um, you know, privacy, as you mentioned, GDPR, CCPA, that should have you know, it drove a lot of conversation about uh, shifting privacy left, right? Privacy by design. But if you think about that, that was never the right angle. It was never the right angle. People need to think about data bytes, okay? And if you do data by design, you basically can get trust by design, privacy by design, AI by design, quality by design, <laughs> business of automation and transformation by design, because ultimately, it's the data um, that each one of those are about, right? Whether it's it's privacy, et cetera. Privacy is just a dimension of data. It's it's, it's just one dimension of data, right? Um, so again, if, if you're putting the right data management processes and the right um, automations in place, it doesn't matter if it's uh, personal data or if it's usage or financial data or, you know, whatever it would be to operate your business, you want to have lineage to have lineage. You want to have a metadata tagging so you understand your assets and you understand things like your lifecycle operations or retention components or uh, data policy inheritance. You want to have quality checks in regards to how you're handling those things because you need to meet SOX requirements, not just GDPR compliance. You need to hit, um, you know, now you need to do things like there's going to be AI regulations, right? Again, people are approaching data in a way too myopic process, and they're flooding money towards certain problems that you can solve once versus over and over and over and over. So again, back to business operations related to data and right to be forgotten, right? Well, you could do the same thing. For what's coming now for AI, we get to a point with AI where we humans get to choose, do I want my data to be consumed in an ML model? Or do I want my health data to be consumed by an ML model? And do I want a generative AI or neural AI model to basically do diagnostics for me? Or do I want a human to? That's the next level of privacy, okay? But what that is, is data, okay? How do I handle the data? How do I know the data? How do I understand the usage of the data? And then how do I apply the policies or regulations because they're constantly going to change to the data outside of the dimension of data that it is, okay? So we need to shift data left. And it, it should have always been <laughs> from the beginning. Um, it'll be much more cost-efficient and effective for companies <laughs> as these regulations shift. So um, A, use industry frameworks, um, you know, understand the bigger picture, ask questions um, in regards to, you know, the, the business processes or the regulatory processes, or is it just a dimension? It, can we solve this at a scale, writing for the future versus just tactically handling for one dimension is the right way to do it. Let me tell you, though, what I'm personally doing, okay, on this front. 
So I have started, I, I have joined forces with um, several other former uh, big tech executives um, to create a nonprofit called the association.ai. That's all one word, the association. And what we're trying to do is we are creating a, um, a, a global nonprofit business organization that is frankly focused on bridging the disciplines of AI, data, ethics, privacy, robotics, and security. Because like we just uh, were talking about, you can't have missed uplift from a security team perspective unless you focus on data management. 42% of data management um, uh, areas cover, or I'm sorry, 42% of NIST uplift is covered by data management uplift areas, okay? You can't say, do things like focus and prioritize your threat detection and where should, where are the, the, the greatest threats uh, most meaningful in regards to, uh, you know, impact if you don't understand the data layers, what data is within those applications and services and at a categories level, and what threat could actually be associated to it from that perspective, okay? You can't do things like have GDPR actual compliance if you don't understand your data lineage, which we also need to have from a data perspective to understand things like change management and changes, right? Or root causes associated to those changes or policy inheritance, et cetera. You can't have something like ethics which is a philosophy, by the way. Uh, so, I mean, A, you had to define what your ethics philosophy is, and it's not going to be the same at every single company. You then have to tactically implement that into your data, okay? Which means it has to go into the data life cycles. It has to have policies. It has to have controls. It has to tie to access, you know, access and usage consumption patterns, has to these things are all related because there is no security, there is no privacy, there is no ethics, there is no AI without data, okay? So my goal is to basically bridge the disciplines because if we're going to have things like, again, uh, AI-related regulations, the data people have to implement it. It cannot be a policy on paper without being implemented. Um, and so we, we need to do more. All you have to do is look at kind of what's happened with uh, social media, right? If you look at social media and especially what's happened in the States in regards to the White House and January 6th and, you know, the, the rise of social media influence in regards to um, politics or different types of behaviors to understand that, um, the tech companies can't solve these problems because they provide a service, but a consumer uses that service and the tech companies don't own the data of the consumer, okay? Um, so there's never going to be, say, an AI sheriff because there can't be. We have complicated infrastructure. We have hundreds of business applications. We are on on-prem plus multi-substrate. We've got data coming from across the globe into companies that have different regulatory components. 
there will never be one AI sheriff, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of AI deputies. And that's what we're basically bridging together this whole association is to create a dedicated space to do networking, knowledge shares, to find all education and certification offerings like around the globe that you can take to basically find jobs and job markets or, or talent um, that, you know, high caliber talent. And we are focused on creating the first cross-discipline, actually, ethics and policy council. Because, again, if there's anyone who's going to be responsible for the implementation and the reality of true ethical quality AI, it's us. It's, the, it's us that work in those fields. We're the implementers. We own the data. We own the models. We own the access. We own the policy. We own the quality. We own the, sec the security a lot. It's us. Okay? So that's what we're doing is we're focusing to build a, a brand new forum that's just focused on these on these disciplines to basically ensure we have a voice um, and it can truly guide AI transformation going forward. Yeah. And then a lot of what you've said really dovetails nicely into a lot of stuff around data mesh and why the self-serve platform, you need that that policy implementation and those guardrails via automation. You need it so that people can just go, okay, I just need to answer the questions about what am I trying to do? And, and if I need external help, then I bring in legal or I bring in, you know, uh, policy or, or privacy or compliance or security or any of those things if I have extra questions. But so much of this stuff is just like, if it were easy to implement it, we definitely would. But having to implement it ourselves every single time in, and it's implemented differently for each use case and all of that stuff, it creates so much friction and so much extra work, but also so much risk for the company and because it's not exactly as you said, okay, now this um, this regulation is changing. Well, if you have that in the system by default and you change the policies in the system and it just updates everything. Well, it isn't a magic wand. It's not like you could just do a quick flip of the switch and it just all works. But you can get relatively close to that and that that creates such a better environment for everybody for the company to succeed and for you know people not getting in in legal trouble or fines or anything like that and it just means people can focus on what they need to focus on well back, back to how we started the conversation right I, you know i spent a lot of time at some of the biggest software companies in the world and the reality is is the people who build the software don't use the software to do their jobs. And a lot of these companies cr create some of the top data software that there is, okay? And back to the automation piece, there isn't a single solution because the software companies don't understand the end-to-end -end data process of, con of consumption plus the store plus the, you know, plus <laughs> orchestration plus the policy plus all the data management plus the influence needs plus the visualizations plus the, they don't understand all of it. And so they build solutions that are in little silos. And we then have to stitch silos together, which then leaves Space in between the silos where the data keeps flowing in and in throughout it, 
for these gaps, right? Where where we have to then go and figure out how do we automate from here to here to here? Or can I can I take something like a data catalog that people want to discover data with to say, hey, people want to discover because they want to use. So I'm going to hook in like a, a data contract service and an access control workflow automation right here so that you can discover, you can request access, you can create your lineage like right off of, of the actual component. Oh, wait, I'm going to tie it to orchestration engine so I can actually... No one's thinking about those things except for the, the data people. And unfortunately, we get so focused on just giving a metric back to a data team. We can't do engineering for data. Do, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like for our own data processes. Um, and that's where I, I've spent so much time in tech companies being like, no, that's not that's that's not right. Or, you know, that that's. I'm having problems here. Um, you know, like for example, at Tableau, it was funny at Tableau because um, you know they've got their data management service with Tableau, and I just had an allergic reaction to the fact that we're even calling it data management in Tableau because I'm like, Tableau is last mile. Let's be real. People do visualizations. All your data management is way upstream from an actual visualization, which like 3% of data gets to a visualization. I need it way back at acquisition and in the store before I even start, you know, like it, it, it's at each pop. So it can't be data management. Why are we calling it that? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Um, but, but again, they don't use their own tools. Right. So uh, and, and yes, there's there's just not enough focus on actually engineering for engineering within the data organizations to actually solve these. Problems. And that comes down to influence and having to actually guide the right questions to, to really spotlight where the gaps are and, and then getting the right funding to close those gaps. Yeah. And I, I recently had a uh, panel that I put together on reliability engineering for data which is different than engineering for data reliability. And yes. like exactly what you're talking about of software practices and actually making this something that is reliable and scalable and that we're focused on, you know, not just trying to dip that. I talk about sometimes the analogy of, is it easier to clean up the river after it's polluted or to prevent the pollution? And so much of what we do in data is cleaning up the river Instead of swimming upstream and just going, how do we how do we make sure that the value flows and how do we make sure that this is done appropriately and and that we're not doing work for the sake of work, but that we're also creating scalable ways of of doing this so that the extra amount of work might only be compute and then you can evaluate is it actually good or not to do this. But yeah, it's it's I I, I it's a difficult conversation to have because. Data people have been so focused on the data instead of the actual business processes that they're focused on supporting. Yeah, yeah. Which again, it's kind of like that's a chicken egg conversation. What's the point of being focused on the data if you don't understand the business that the data is supposed to be used for? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you you can't do that. Like it just it doesn't work, and that's why data teams are struggling, right? That's why they've been treated like cost centers. That's why. You know, data is never properly funded is because we are not doing enough to actually do what we are supposed to be doing with our jobs. And it's hard. I think data is one of, the, I think personally, I think a CDAO role is the hardest of all of the C-suites because 
We own nothing with the data. We usually don't even own the infrastructure, right? Because that would be the CIO. Yet we need the data to drive the business processes and the data decisioning. And we have to influence it all across the board without any accountability in any part of it, you know what I mean? Across every single C-suite that there is. So it is very, 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 very hard. But if you approach it the right way, and again, you build the right relationships, you find the people who get it. You start to really angle in regards to not just tactically delivering what was written on paper, but understanding and actually augmenting that in a in an even better way, right? In an amplified way. And you do that in ripples, it starts to be like a rock that's up a hill. You pushed it up the hill, but eventually you start to get advocates and your own wins that the hill, the rock just starts going down the hill on its own and doors just start opening and you can get funding from this team or that business unit or this is a nest to do more because you've proven the value. But it requires you to do those steps, right? <laughs> it requires you to do those steps. It's not by just producing the, the metric that was written on a piece of paper. That's not even the right metric to actually drive businesses based on what that strategy actually is. Yeah, my, my uh, recent alliteration is maintaining mesh momentum. And so like that, that like, how do you get momentum and, and, and keep it going? But well, Wendy, we've talked about a whole heck of a lot of different things. Is there anything we didn't cover or any specific way you want to wrap up kind of the content of the episode? I, I think, uh, no, I think we covered a lot, um, you know, so I, I think there's some some good kind of gotchas in regards to what, what we what we talked about. I think the biggest thing for, for your audience and for you in particular, join the association.ai, right? Like we, we need a movement. We, we need to position the, the implementers as the experts and we need to help one another when it comes to the regulations um, and ethical behaviors around AI. And, and it, it's, it's us. We, uh, we, we're the ones with our hands on the keyboards. So join us because uh, we're, we're going to make, we're going to drive a movement. And and I'm sure there's going to be people that would love to follow up with you. Where where is the best place to do that? Is that at the website, or is there just reach out on LinkedIn? What's what's the best way for people to follow up? Either with or you? you can go. So it's it's free to join. We're going to do it as a nonprofit, so anyone can join. You can go to the association, register. You can then con connect with me. There's a whole forum and a messaging component there, so you can connect with me that way, or you can uh, you know message me at uh, LinkedIn, Wendy Turner Williams. <laughs> And we'll drop links to those in the show notes as, as usual to make it easy for folks. But again, Wendy, thank you so much for spending your time here with me today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Wendy Turner-Williams, managing partner at both the association.ai and Colstrata. You can find a link to her LinkedIn and the websites for both the association.ai and Colstrata in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But 
I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.